It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. All right, my guest today is Jesse Redmond, Managing Director, Water Tower Research. Jesse, thanks again for being on The Talking Hedge. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So we want to dive in to see what happened for the first half of this year in cannabis across 15 different markets, that headset tracks, and then kind of give a little projection uh, on what we think the industry might go next year. So let's just jump right into that. Looking at the total sales across North America, including Canada, uh, California, the the big um not big winner, but obviously 420 million in, in one month in January is significant. And looks like they're going to be uh, up there for a while. New York thought they were going to take it. Uh, what's what's your uh, take on on biggest states out there, Jesse? Because you're from California. Yep. Do you see like this new emerging market kind of taking over? Yeah, I don't know about taking over. I see it getting more stable, but not growing as quickly as it should. You know, Josh, the big issue out here is access and high taxes. So when I buy $100 worth of cannabis in Santa Barbara, where I live, it's $133 out the door. If Mm -hmm. I go to LA, it's about $150 out the door. And that doesn't account for some taxes that happen even before the retail level. So California is still struggling because the taxes are so high. And if you're in the traditional legacy market, black market, pick your term they're not paying taxes. And so the legacy market continues to be a huge issue here and taxes are too high. Second issue is in California, we do not have enough stores. We're stuck around 11, 1200 stores. We have 12,000 liquor stores for perspective. So about 12 times as many liquor stores as cannabis stores in California. And we need about 5,000 stores to be healthy here. And so sometimes, Josh, we talk about these these older markets, your Californias, your Colorados, your Washingtons, and your Oregons, and we think, oh, well, those are all fully evolved markets. Well, California's been online for, what, five years now since 2018, but it still is at about 20% of where it should be. And so I hope with these new states, for example, like Ohio, you know, they started in California, we have a 15% excise tax. And that isn't all of our problem. It's delaying of taxes. It's not enough stores. There's other issues. But Ohio started with a 10% excise tax, and now they want to go to 15%. So I hope that with some of these older markets like California that are okay, but they're not great markets. They're actually not okay. That's being too nice. They're not good (laughs) markets. They aren't profitable for most people. They are profitable for some people. I hope these newer states can learn from some of those mistakes. So yeah, I'd say I'm still a little bit disappointed in California, but obviously it's the biggest market in the US. It's It's the head of cannabis culture and there's a tremendous opportunity here. We just need the regulators to chill out a little bit on taxes and get rid of these local ordinance ordinances that allow cities and counties to completely ban cannabis. So what happens here, Josh, is you have some some cities like Lompoc, California, with 40,000 people and 12 stores. So the way overserved because they have an open license policy. Then you have areas like Manhattan Beach and uh, the South Bay by L.A. where they have zero stores because the local ordinances ban them. And so California has a lot of potential, but we need to open it up in terms of having more stores and we need to chill out on the taxes so we can compete better with the traditional market. So I said California, good market in terms of size, but I feel like there's much more work to be done here. 
Yeah, there's a lot to learn from the California market, Washington yep. market as well. Any any kind of legacy market, uh, Washington ch changed it up. And so some of these um, counties that opted out, they don't get tax money anymore. So if you want to opt out, that's fine, but you get none of that money. And yep. so you're seeing a lot of people see that incentive and be like, okay, I guess we'll change our mind here. And there's obviously a lot more money there. I think if you look at, at the overall trends of the first half of 2023, you could see a lot of stable um, yep. prices right here, or sales rather. And then in emerging markets like Arizona, you're seeing that kind of come down to more of a normal level. The exception being Michigan, they're the outlier that actually saw an increase, um, you know, for whatever reason, but some of these other places are, are starting to level out. Yeah. I think Michigan, um, was difficult for a while because another open license environment led to a lot of competition, a lot of stores, a lot of cultivation in Michigan. But what they did was it drove down prices, which initially sounds bad, but I'm curious your take here, Josh, because lower prices are a trade-off. So price compression is the fancy term we like to use. Mm -hmm. When price compression happens, all things being equal, revenue drops and more importantly, margins drop. Yes. But in Michigan, what happened is that more stores open, which is helpful, but also the lower prices converted people over from the traditional market because broadly speaking there are exceptions like if you want a traditional market brand or you just don't like to work in the legal system there are those folks out there but broadly speaking if you provide access at a similar price point most people convert to the, to the dispensary just like if you want you know uh, jack daniels or if you want a six pack of beer you don't go to your local friend you don't go to your friend who has a distillery in the garage you usually go to the liquor store and it's not a perfect analogy but i think cannabis kind of works the same way so Michigan has been interesting. Uh, good MSO state as well because of that open license policy. I forget how many stores uh, Terrasend has. I want to say it's in the 20s, but there's a lot of scale to be had in Michigan. So that's gone from what was a pretty tough market around when they did that, did that gauge acquisition a couple of years ago to being a positive market for Terrasend and uh, Ascend does well. There are several others do well there. So I think Michigan, yeah, it's nice to see those numbers going from 213,000 in January all the way up to 255 in uh, in July. Yeah, we can learn from from previous industries. You don't see bootleg liquor or people selling cigarettes out of their trunk. However, <laughs> there is a really popular brewery in North Seattle in a guy's garage. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. But what people can learn from is DC specifically six percent tax. Like that's probably not realistic long term. You might not get the thirty seven percent we have in Washington, but anybody in DC don't get too comfortable because um, you know that's not realistic. But looking at uh, maybe what's going to happen down the road. Um, you can kind of see with with sales over since 2020 all the way through the first half of this year. Um, you, I think you got to take in order to smooth these numbers out, you have to kind of take COVID out of it. So a, a lot of people were staying working from home, consuming more, having more disposable income through, uh, you know, through through checks. So if you if you remove 2021 and even 2022. Um, that might give you a better idea about the trajectory of the industry, which still, if if you double the first half of 2023, it still looks like it's an upwards trajectory. It might even be a record year. Yeah, look at Colorado. That looks like an improvement. Uh, BC would be an improvement. California would be a slight improvement. Yeah, so one of the big things I look at, Josh, is a kind of bucket 
a lot of these West Coast markets together. They're all unique, but I think we, we can kind of look at these legacy markets, your California, your, your Colorado's, your Washington's, and your Oregon's. And for a while, those were, I wouldn't say uninvestable, but they were very selectively investable. Broadly speaking, they weren't great investment markets. But I think the trend we're seeing now is that some of those are starting to, stab to stabilize. Operators have gotten more efficient and leader. And I think that's one of the big things we've seen in 2022 and 2023. And I think that pairs really well with the potential for Schedule 3 and more money potentially coming into the industry if all goes well. Because if the operators hadn't found religion in terms of focusing on cash flow or lowering those expenses, then I think when people that were more sophisticated investors came in, they wouldn't find as many things in which they wanted to invest. And so I think of these legacy markets, what you're seeing is prices stabilizing, and there are going to be some profitable markets in these more normalized environments. On the flip side, you see some of these newer markets, and I see Maryland over here. And so Maryland is kind of like the New Jersey of 2023, where New Jersey came online, had monster stores in terms of sales, they had high margins, they had high prices, and that's tapered off a little bit, and we expect to see that. And now Maryland's seeing the same the, the same things here. We don't have it. Uh, that number up there is a little bit misleading because the first half of this year, that 274.8, those were medical sales only. Maryland flipped rec on July 1st, and sales went up on average a little over uh, 2x. So I think they went up about 122% was the latest data I saw. So I, I like to monitor, Josh, what's going on in these legacy markets like your California's, Colorado's, Washington's, and Oregon's. What can I learn from there? And then let me look at these new markets, your Maryland's and your New Jersey's, and say, okay, those are limited license, different dynamics. You have to pay attention to the cultivation versus store ratios. But broadly speaking, we can learn from these legacy markets that things aren't going to stay as great as they are right now in Maryland and New Jersey. And we can speculate a little bit about how those markets will evolve and how those prices might compress over time. And that same logic applies to Ohio, which just flipped. And then, of course, we have some big states like Pennsylvania, Virginia, and even Florida that um, may flip as soon as 2024. You and I might be the only people that uh, have noticed that there's some some patterns here and to look at um, existing states. Cause I don't think anybody else, it doesn't seem like, you know, from my experience going to MJ BizCon and talking to other people that anybody else is looking at it that way. But I think there's a lot to, to be said, um, you know, before we get to consolidation that you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, and some of the contraction and, and changes in the industry, we'll take a look at year over year sales growth, which is negative really across the board. British Columbia was late to open. Um, you know, depending on who you ask, might be that Hell's Angels has a tight knit. If, <laughs> if you're into the conspiracy theories, it might be that it wasn't, it didn't make business sense until 2.0 was closer. Uh, but regardless, what you're seeing is is a slow uptick as more and more stores open up. Same store sales, which we'll get to in a few minutes, um, went up significantly. Michigan, again, the outlier in terms of year over sales growth, um, obviously uh, still there, but for the most part, um, pretty bleak. Yeah, looking back to BC, Josh, I was talking to some Canadian operators lately, and I'm not hearing great things, not necessarily on the cannabis side, but on the consumer spending side, that apparently you know, wages are fairly stable, but housing costs and um, inflation have gone so up so much in Canada that we're seeing lower spending on cannabis or consumers downshifting. And that's another thing that 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 you're very aware happens, right? If you, let's say you have 20% less money to spend, you may still get your cannabis, but you might shop more on THC per dollar, which people like you and I know, Josh, that THC isn't the perfect metric, but a lot of consumers will shop just based on THC per dollar. So what I'm hearing out of BC and Canada more broadly is 
expect to see some lower numbers in Q4 and even into Q1 as people are downshifting moving away from premium and looking at more affordable products. And I think that's another trend we've seen in 2023 is for a while in cannabis, everybody thought you wanted to focus on premium because premium has the high margins. You've got to grow indoor flowers. You've got to, you've got to have fancy concentrates and edibles because those have higher margins. Well, that's true. And during that COVID period, I think that worked really well. But in this newer environment where everybody feels like they have a little bit less money because of everything else around you got more expensive, people look at cannabis and say, okay, well, I could get the, the $45 or $50 indoor eighth if I had that kind of money. Or I could shift down and get something that's greenhouse grown. I might even grab the smalls for 25 or 30. There's more affordable ounces coming out now. Milled flour is a thing in Canada, Josh, which um, is a yeah. goes against my cannabis values. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, I'll grind up my own flour. Thank you very much. I don't need it pre-grounded and drying out in the bag while but, I wait yeah, for my, it. My brother-in-law does it for the same reason you're talking about. Like Canada's in a recession. They're struggling. But my brother-in-law has been struggling. So he gets those sh that shake too. He'll buy a $30 ounce of shake, but then he'll make butter with it. But I'm okay. with you, man. I'd rather buy my own ounce and ground it. But for some folks, that I'm hoping that the majority are using it for, for something else other than smoking. But I, yeah, grind your own, folks. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, as it goes to as it goes to Canada, I think I think uh, we might see softer numbers for that second half of the year and, and into uh, into early next year. Still a tough environment there. Absolutely. Um, year over year sales growth, though, if we take a look at the last few years, you can kind of see obviously early on they were they were crazy, and that's with any new market. You're going to see a lot of people, even from you know Texas right now, is is boosting the sales of their neighbors. Um, Idaho is helping out Oregon and Washington. So. Some of these numbers are are a bit inflated because they're coming from outside, um, especially early on. You'll see it more leveled out and normalized as time goes on down to 2022, 2023. Um, you can kind of see from the numbers there that Alberta was at 92% growth rate, and then now they're more stabilized around 10. That's a perfect example of the excitement and you're trying to buy everything and figure out what you want. And then when you do, you realize it's convenient. You just go when you need. Yeah, and in some of these numbers, what I also like to look through, it would be changes in unit volumes versus changes in price. Because sometimes people say, well, Cal uh, cannabis is not a growth story because I see that, uh, you know, for example, Oregon price uh, sales are down 3.9%. So that can make some people think people are using less cannabis. Usually that's not the case. Usually that means that prices have come down. So revenue has dropped, but often unit volumes are up or stable. That, um, when you look at these Illinois numbers, that's what's happening there. When you see that 1.8 number versus the previous year being 8.56, mm -hmm. is that you're seeing more competition in terms of cultivation. You're seeing prices come down. You're seeing more stores, which in some areas are creating more price competition. You're seeing in Illinois, Josh, I'm sure you're aware of this, but with Missouri flipping rack, right? A lot of those big stores that are on the Southern border, like Ascend had a store in Collinsville, which was a monster store. I don't want to say what the number was, but it was one of the best stores literally in the country. Mm -hmm. But once Missouri flipped rack, people stopped going over the border from St. Louis. Right. So when you're looking at new markets too, it's always interesting to say what's around you and are you getting some of that action from other states? And then when those states those states flip, you know how is that going to impact you? But the bigger point of seeing these numbers is, yeah, not terrible, not awesome, but I think the lower numbers are usually a result of price compression rather than truly less cannabis demand. And that price compression has been remedying itself in some of these markets. And the way it's that's happening is that is that you're squeezing out 
the people that have the higher costs because they just can't compete. We've seen this in California, uh, where I live, where you're, we've seen the canopy drop so much this year because people just mm-hmm. there wasn't enough margin in it, and there was, you know, the, the price that they were getting was less than their cost of production. So a lot of those operators just threw threw in the towel. Mm-hmm. That's been great for some people, like Glasshouse Brands, for example, who has the very low cost of production and is well capitalized. And as these other farms go out of business, they're able to step in and capitalize on that. I like that for Glasshouse. I do feel bad for some of the legacy growers, the people that helped build the industry that now have gotten squeezed out because they weren't true low cost producers. Mm-hmm. But I think across these different markets, you're seeing one trend we've seen this year is that you do have to lower your cost of production as these prices at the register come down. Otherwise, you just don't have the don't have the margins. And I think a lot of these states, you have seen operators getting more more efficient, which I think is a necessary step. Absolutely. A lot more automation. That's one of the things I saw on yep. the floor at, at MJ BizCon is a lot more acceptance. Whereas before it was like um, a luxury and now it's a necessity. So definitely seeing a lot more uh, investment and in, in, uh, people looking at trying to do large scale. But uh, to your point of looking at, at basket size yeah. and what people are, are buying uh, on average, you can also see that coming down too as people are getting squeezed by the economy. It was $55 at the beginning of the year in California. And now it's down to 49 If you look at previous years, it was over 65 because I believe delivery was a minimum 60 or 65 whatever. And so the average was way up there because people were having that delivered. Now, not so much. They're walking in. They're spending a lot less driving that average um uh, basket size, the amount that people are buying when they go in coming way down. And it's even worse in places like in Washington, where I'm at 30 bucks and that's, that's how much an ounce is. And you go in, it's convenient. They're everywhere. There's more, um, stores than Starbucks. So price and convenience. Yeah. And when you look at basket size, that's what I found is I read a dispensary in California from 2016 to 2019. What I found is that during good times, People shop less frequently, but they buy more each time. So they might spend $200 at the beginning of the month, and that holds them for the whole month. And that leads to the data showing larger basket sizes because they didn't come to the store four times. They came one time and they stocked up for the month. So people have more money. I think the basket sizes go up because maybe they're consuming a little bit more, but they're going to the store less frequently too. What I found, Josh, is during harder times is that people still may make that bigger investment in the beginning of the month, but they might buy two weeks supply. Then they'll go once a week and figure out, okay, got an extra 30 bucks. Okay, got an extra 40 bucks. The other thing that's interesting is if you look intra-month, what usually happens is the first couple of weeks for us, especially the first week of the month, was by far and away the strongest because most people get paid on the first. Sometimes they get paid the first and the 15th. So they pay their rent, they pay all their bills, and they say, okay, I've got a couple hundred extra bucks for cannabis, so I'm going to stock up and get my my monthly supply. As things got harder and people had less money, they were nibbling more throughout the month and not making right. those bigger bigger intermonth purchases. So some, sometimes these basket sizes, I think this data is probably accurate and you can derive meaning from it, but I think sometimes the amount of trips to the store is also relevant. Absolutely. And what you can see though is, is that the trend is that these prices are kind of coming down It really yeah. in all markets. Maryland is flat, Florida's flat, Arizona's reducing. Um Washington, we've been around so long that yeah, we'll get to discounts and and uh, incentives and stuff. But uh, Washington has got to put thirty to thirty percent uh, three days a week just to get people to come in, and so you can see that that thirty percent discount at the, yeah. at the store. Okay, the whole store is thirty percent off during the holidays, but generally throughout the year, it's Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday is thirty percent off. 
Um, that's tough. That's tough no matter what, but that's extra tough, Josh, when you throw in 280E, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, because that means you're selling your ounces for $10 or less if they're retail at 30 So nobody's making any money. Yeah, exactly. It's a confusing business model. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that everyone here is since we are not vertically integrated and weren't allowed to have outside investors who weren't um, residents, that it's really kind of just said, okay, well, who can hold out the longest? Yep. And unfortunately, if if it becomes federally legal, then none of them are going to be around because there's a lot of better other growers and manufacturers and retailers in other states. And so first mover advantages are a thing, but they're not really using them here in Washington. And I think the majority of folks here are going to be gone. Um, I've tested 150 something strains in, in the state for a cannabis cup and only three were were worth it. Really? Uh, yeah, it's, it's really bad. And so a lot of them don't even deserve to be around. Hmm. Um, again, this is average, uh, the annual average basket people buying. Absolutely. The trend is just kind of going down and maybe that's yeah, money. And, and and, and, and as you pointed out before, Josh, which was a good point, tough COVID comps in 2020, 2020 and 2021 as well. Yep. But still taking that out, looking at 22 and three, yeah, still. There's still slide. It's down. a slide. It's all obvious to me looking at it. Just it's a slide going down to um, either be compounding of, of price compression and the economy and, you know, just normalcy of just being going into a store and knowing what you want. Now, you're not going to buy all these different things trying to try it out. You know what you want. You go there and and that's it. And there's less money in your pocket. And so that's obviously uh, dictating how you're going about your business. But average basket size in Washington, which is, I think, a good predictor overall, is pretty damn low, 30 bucks. Um, so if you're in a state, you know, like Massachusetts, expect that to be in half in another couple of years. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I think it goes that low in Massachusetts. You could be right. I think it could come down more. Um, I think there's a couple of variables there, right? What happens with prices and what happens to the number of stores? And I think Washington evolved really quickly in both of these ways. And for example, in Massachusetts, you have a three-store cap per operator. The cultivation footprint has actually been coming down there. Prices have still been going down in Massachusetts, but at a slower rate. They were stable for a few months, then they've been weaker the past couple of months. So I think, and I hope, Josh, that in some of these limited license markets, your Massachusetts, your Maryland's, um, you don't... Uh, is this headset? Yes. Okay. So they don't cover New Jersey? Not yet. Okay. Yeah. So your New Jersey's, your Massachusetts, your Maryland's, Ohio just made the flip. Um, when your Pennsylvania's flip, when your Virginia's flip, some of these limited license environments, I'm hoping we see more stable prices there than we have in these open license environments, like your Washington's, your Oregon's, your California's of the world. I think the compression does happen, but if I were, I, I, I would be surprised if it got as low as Washington just because of the cultivation dynamics and the probably not quite as much retail competition just because of the limited licenses. Like if you get only have three per operator in Massachusetts, you could end up and, and they're really slow to open stores in Massachusetts, which sucks if you're an operator. I hear about people getting everything done and staffing a store, then waiting two months for the regulator to sign up and, you know, fi fi finish the paperwork. So I think these do come down a little bit more, but I'm hoping maybe not quite as much as we've seen in some of these legacy states. Yeah. Washington had a, a limit of three stores. Now that you can have uh, five, but then I've seen people have 10 through other mm -hmm. partnerships. And so it's kind of really all over the place. Um, looking at the count of baskets, we'll kind of just run through this really quick because there's not a lot of data, but this is um, the number of products people were buying in 2020 and 2020, 21, 2021. Um, 
So in Washington, they were buying three and a half products per, hmm. per basket. So you kind of see um, California, they, four, almost five. And then the next year in 2021, it was uh, almost seven products. So people were really trying a lot of things. Whereas in Illinois, if that's accurate, there was, what, half a product? I don't even know how that's. So somebody was buying two and somebody, I don't even know. Yeah, Maryland's 0.35, which is puzzling as well. Yeah, yeah. So not really sure if that's going to help us because there's not a whole lot of data there anyways. Um, the number of, of SKUs, I think, is is interesting, though. So jumping into that, um, you know, Washington has 1,800 at one point, um, which is just crazy because you walk in and they're all on the the wall. So it's not, it's not like you go to Illinois or um, Nevada where it's a tablet. Mm-hmm. It's all there and you're like, holy shit, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Um, so I, I think there's a happy medium. Illinois doesn't have enough. Washington might have too many. Um, but I think the trend is that it's going up. Yeah, I think people, one thing I found from running the dispensary is people love choices and they don't want to buy the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. And so when I got into this in 2016, I had never sold cannabis before, never grown cannabis before. My dad had some health problems. Cannabis helped him. And that's how I got into the industry. And I thought somebody might find something that worked for their medical problem because we were a medically focused collective. And so, for example, the Death Star OG helps my back pain. So I'm going to buy that three times in a row. And that pretty much didn't happen. If something's good, people will buy it twice. It's be awesome to buy it three times. And I've almost never seen somebody buy something four times in a row, especially in terms of flour. People always want to try the new, new thing. Like, you know, last year was lemon cherry gelato. You know, this year it's uh, jealousy or jokers and you know whatever the you know permanent markers you know another hot one now and so people always want to try that try that new thing so i think do think a lot of SKUs are helpful but 1800 in washington seems like a lot um hard to find efficiencies for the operators that way and also from a consumer does that just get overwhelming or do you just hone in on the stuff that you like and you buy that you try and then they stop carrying the the most popular vape uh brand in washington and then the edibles that they turned you on to they forget to order and the blunts <laughs> that they turned you on to they don't order them anymore and then the flour they only order in the first week of the month and it sells out in the first five days and then you got to wait three weeks so and, and i talked to the guy i've got his number I, i'm you know brandon if you're listening get your shit together um <laughs> honest to god it, it's ridiculous and so now these same the same store is trying to open up in illinois and i'm like you guys before you expand dial it down first because you can have a bunch of SKUs, and that's great but if you don't have your inventory under control with all of the options that are out there there's no excuse for that um so count of SKUs, um, again, you know, looking at it, it's it's got to level off. It has to make sense. You need you need some kind of software technology to tell you to alert you. It's it's. I mean, I I even built a VBA in, in Excel for my wife and and baking. If if she makes <laughs> an, a, a a recipe, it'll tell her exactly how much she should charge for that based on the the ingredients if flour gets too low there's a, an alert that flashes and that's just in excel so i i have no patience for um regardless of how many SKUs there are there needs to be a, a better way um moving forward yeah and go back go, go back one slide if you don't yeah. mind 
Yeah, so look at that Florida number. So uh, you talked about the lack of vertical in Washington, but when you mm. see the low number of SKUs there in Florida, that's a consequence of mandatory vertical. So mm. in Florida, you have to grow your own products. You have to manufacture your own things. You make your own pre-rolls. You make your own concentrates. You grow all your own flour. There is an emergency market where you can't get things wholesale if you have a cultivation issue and you need to supply your stores. But broadly speaking, there's not a whole wholesale market there. Couple of consequences in Florida. Number one, if you're a consumer, you have less choices. And that's right here in the data, right? Florida's a monster state. Uh, 22, 23 million people, 137 million tourists. Decent medical part market can be a fantastic adult use market. But look at those choices. It has one fifth, almost one sixth of the choices that California has. The benefit, however, is for the operators is they get the higher margins, right? Because vertical integration is one of the best ways to control your supply chain, but also to enhance margins. And I think you know, looking at next year, Josh, if we think about Catalyst for 2024, number one for me is by far the potential for Schedule 3. But shortly under that, I think Florida flipping adult use is a big one. We'll find out in early April if it gets on the ballot. It has, it has to first get approved to be on the ballot, and that's up to the Supreme Court in Florida. And then number two is that it needs 60% to pass. And so if you think about Ohio, which flipped adult use last month, that needed just 50%, and they got about 58 Florida's polling better than that, but 60 is not easy to get. So I think just when we look at Florida, a couple of things, what is what are the consequences of vertical integration? And I think broadly, it's probably worse for the consumer, but maybe better for the operators because the margins can, can improve. Mm -hmm. But number two is what's going to happen with that adult use vote. And Florida is a very, very meaningful uh, state for MSOs. So there's over 450 publicly operated stores in Florida. Truly, there's the king, or we should say the queen, because Kim, Kim runs it. So we'll call it the queen of Florida. And they have, I think, a, over 130. I think it's closer to 140 stores in Florida. But another one to watch with Florida is AIR. AIR has about $125, $150 million market cap, depending on the day. But they have 62, 65, somewhere in that in that range. Stores in Florida, Verano's huge, Cureleaf is huge there as well, Cresco as well. So I think when you look at you know Florida, a few things to think about in terms of that market structure, but also realize that is a key state for MSOs, and especially if there's one name I'd keep an eye on there. I'll give you two actually. One is just truly because they are they have the most stores and the most scale there, and that's an you know a, a key market for them. They're funding most of the spending required to get uh, adult use on the ballot, and we'll probably be pushing more spending to get the votes. But also, if you want to play on Florida, think about air wellness. They don't have the most stores. They have somewhere in the 60s, which is about as half as much as True Leave. But because of the, the low market cap, I would argue air might be the most levered to, this, to the success of Florida. All right. We got a couple of minutes to uh, to talk about same-store sales. Um, brand concentration is, is obviously... Um, a significant when you look at same store sales that's coming down so even as they're um trying with i mentioned the discounts 30 percent in washington state um still a challenge uh, yeah same same store sales will get hurt as competition increases right so in illinois you're seeing more of these social equity stores open which is great and that'll help feed the wholesale market and mm -hmm. make that stronger but if you were the only game in town in the only store in town uh in your area and all of a sudden new store opens that's going to hurt your same same store same same store sales and so i think in a lot of these cases it's because more more retail is opening around them mm-hmm 
Yeah, it it doesn't look uh it doesn't look great. It looks like there's going to have to be a lot more marketing and texting and um getting people in the door at this point. Uh even looking at annual year over year changes, it doesn't look spectacular. Yeah, I see a lot of emphasis on loyalty programs, which I think mm -hmm. which I think makes sense. It helps it helps the consumer. You you can't get those points. Sometimes I'll go to a dispensary and I won't realize that I had thirty dollars of loyalty points, right. and I'll get a you know get a free something, which is that, that's always nice. And mm -hmm. I think for the brands using those apps and having those loyalty programs is certainly one way to fight it. Yeah. All right. I think with that, we're gonna have to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest Jesse Redmond, managing director of Water Tower Research. Jesse, where can they get a hold of you at? Where are you at? Yeah, so you can find me on social media, LinkedIn, Jesse Redmond on Twitter or X, as we call it these days. It's at Jesse Redmond as well. You can find all of my research at watertowerresearch.com. Click on the sectors tab. Click on the cannabis sector. It's free and available to all investors. And I'll put his LinkedIn uh, link in the show notes. But with that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out. And check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% .9 of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.